Welcome to another episode of Seen and Heard, conversations about how to live an authentic, fulfilling, and joyful life. I'm Smitha, and I'm excited to be here and hosting these chats with my two friends, Willa and Raha. Hi, ladies. How are you today? Hey, Smitha. Hi. So good to be here. Uh, Super excited to get back to our podcast. Yes. And we're so excited today to welcome a new friend, Lauren Goldberg who is here to help us unpack how to connect with yourself and with your people and the world at large. It's really exciting to bring you on board just the way that you and I met. I joined a webinar that you were hosting a few weeks ago, which was about how to navigate transitions, what you called career identity crises. It really resonated with me as I'm in a bit of a transition career-wise as well. And it was just a wonderful moment where I joined this call. We had just recorded a session on connecting with your inner child, connecting with yourself. And then you in that webinar were talking about having a fulfilling career and connecting with your inner child. <laughs> I can't believe that on this call, you were using the same language. I thought that I just had to follow up and talk to you more. And, and we certainly did and realized that there's so much more in common in the way that we think about connection. So excited to bring you on. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be joining you guys. For those who don't know Lauren, you're in for a treat. She's a holistic confidence coach for multi-passionate change makers. And her personal story is super relatable. So she's navigated ways at really tough times, bouncing back from career crises, imposter syndrome, internalized ableism, body shame. There's so many themes that she touches on through her stories. And really just a sense of resilience is what I learned through Mm -hmm. her stories and how she's been able to use her experiences to build a coaching practice to help a variety of clients build confidence in themselves, clarity around their decisions and emotional resiliency. So it's very much in tandem with how we have been thinking about connection, which is that to connect with others, to connect with society, your broader purpose, you need to do the work to connect with yourself. And so we thought this might be the right time to bring Lauren into the fold. So Pass to Lauren so she can give much more color to her story, but really happy to have you here. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for giving me a platform to tell my story and share some of the things that I've learned on my journey. A little bit more about me. My personal mission is to help people feel a greater sense of belonging. And the way that I'm doing that now is not only through my coaching, but also helping organizations move their placemaking and community development projects forward. And that's called Thriving Places Collaborative. But I wasn't always so confident in myself and my journey. And it took multiple, what I felt like, career identity crises and a whole lot of self-growth to really get to where I am now and to be able to help people through my coaching to navigate those same crises. It's been really, it's been really amazing. Yeah, I also generally love the the words and the language you're using, career identity crises. Yeah, so the reason I actually call it that is because of the way it feels, the way it feels in your body, the way it feels in mm. your life. When you are in a job transition, and many of us have been conditioned to believe that our job title, how much money we're making, our status, there's a lot of weight in that as part of our identities. And then when something goes wrong and that's your job's not going well or you're between jobs, your role disappears, you've been laid off. It feels like a crisis because your identity has just disappeared somehow. It, it doesn't feel stable, right? For a lot of us, it feels like overwhelm. Oh, the world is my oyster. I could do whatever I want. But 
also that feels really overwhelming, <laughs> floating in the abyss of overwhelm, I, I say. But then also there are people who, when they're doing the job hunt, when they're job searching, they're not quite sure what they're looking for. A lot of people tend to do this where they they'll look at job listings online and scroll and scroll and, you know, we doom scroll through social media, the same way <laughs> doom we doom scroll, scroll through job <laughs> listings, right? And then we feel deflated because we can't find the right next thing. So you feel stuck, you feel overwhelmed it, and, and it does, it feels like a crisis. And a lot of us don't realize that we're whole people, regardless of what our job situation is. Yeah, I, I can so relate to that feeling. And it's taken me a while to understand that some of the doom scrolling for me came from a place of fear of not knowing and it seems so easy to get to the situation when you're coming from a place of fear and putting societies or other obligations on your identity and that in in itself can feel like a crisis but what's really interesting and what I'd love to hear more about with you Lauren is that itself that incongruence or that dissonance feels like a crisis but also those moments when you're forced into the incongruence or it just slaps you in the face like you said with jobs changing but I'd be so interested to hear how those were aha moments for you because it's there's that latent crisis and there are those moments whether they're disappointments or failures that push us to knowledge and and like I, awakening I'm, points awakening points of who we are versus what society throws on us and I'd, I'd love to hear more about that from you yeah yeah absolutely so I feel like every job transition that I've been in I've learned so much because of the experience that felt like an identity crisis. So the first time I've experienced that was when I graduated college. And I had a general idea of, I wanted to work in social impact, environmental sustainability, but I didn't have the self-awareness to know exactly what that meant for me and where I fit in. And so what I had to do was do a lot of different internships. And that was actually a really amazing thing. Doing all those different internships and working for all those different organizations in a short period of time, I learned so much. I really became a generalist. I built my skills and got a better sense of what type of work suits me and energizes me and the type of organizations that I want to work for. So that was my first career identity crisis that I actually benefited greatly from. I ended up working for the city of Boston in their environment department and later transitioned Mm -hmm. to a tech startup helping companies engage their employees in social impact programs. And then I was part of a group that got laid off from that startup. So that was crisis number two for me. And what I did was I actually used that opportunity to try starting my own business, which I really wasn't ready for. But the fact that I, I got to try it and see, okay, no, this actually isn't right for me. And and try a bunch of other things too. I tried coaching soccer and I I got to realize that actually some of these things are not right for me, that I still wanna work in a larger organization and be a part of a team. Serendipitously, I went to a Halloween party and one of my former clients was at the Halloween party during during this time. And I, so just for the visual, I was dressed as Big Bird from Sesame Street. Amazing where networking can happen, even at a (laughs) Halloween party and you're in a ridiculous costume. And so sure enough, I actually ended up working with my former client at that company on their HR team, working in people and culture initiatives. Can I just jump in quickly? Because sometimes we have a vision for our lives and we're like, ah, this is what we need to do. But there's so much that we can only learn from trying something. What I love about what you just described is you went out and tried some things. And from that is how you got 
more clarity around the things that you like doing and things that are not a fit. The important thing is to take the next step and with each new thing that you try is to get closer. And I would love for you to share that story of, okay, coaching soccer, these are the elements that I didn't like about it. So my next step was I went for something that had more of what I wanted and less of what I didn't. That would be awesome to share because as people navigate this new post-COVID world, they're really resonating with the details around what do you actually do that gets you to the Halloween party. Yeah. And also, as we get into that, I love what you mentioned about what crises can look like. Some of the questions you struggled with were, what can I do? Can I go out here? Can I join these new organizations? Can I jump into these new worlds? Versus what do I want to do? And I think that's what we struggle with in the workplace. Ideas of imposter syndrome. And then once trying to overcome that, then asking ourselves, okay, what is it that I really liked about my time at, you know, in the soccer field and all that. But yeah, I would love for you to elaborate on that. It's funny because in that instance in particular and trying out soccer coaching, I thought that maybe working with kids would probably be my jam. And I got placed with younger kids, but it was all part of the experiment. And coming out of that, I realized, okay, maybe working with younger kids is not where I'm meant to be, but I still have this burning desire to help people as a coach, building Mm -hmm. confidence. And sports is one way in which we do that. I know that you guys all dance and you get into the flow with your dance. And I feel that too, like with, with physical activity and I did soccer my whole life and still do adult leagues. And yeah, so that was something that I thought was worth trying and knowing if it didn't work out, it wasn't because I was a failure. It was because I just needed more data. I just needed to know. I just needed to feel it like energetically. Yes, this feels right for me or no, this doesn't feel right for me. I had other instances where I worked for a seamstress thinking like, oh, I'll just build up my skills and I'll be the next contestant on Project Runway. I'm glad that I got the opportunity to try that out and know that's not right for me. I'm not going to be on Project Runway. I'm okay letting that, you know, teenage dream go, but I would have never known otherwise. But I have other, definitely other learnings like that from just, just trying it. That's great. So let's go back to the Halloween party. You said you got a job through a former client. What happened next? Yeah, so I started working in HR and I felt like that was, at the time, the closest thing I'd gotten to my calling. And it's because it was helping me live out my vision and mission, personal mission of helping people feel a greater sense of belonging, the type of work that I was doing within the organization. But unfortunately, the HR team reorged and my team was dissolved and my role was eliminated. And I had a choice. You could either stay and work on something that is unlike the work you were doing before, mm-hmm. or I could find something else. So I decided to leave thinking that I would find something like it. And one month of unemployment turned into two months, turned into three months, turned into COVID hitting, and it turned into nine months of unemployment. But during those nine months, I had the most self-growth that I've ever had. I actually think both organizations and individuals don't give themselves a chance to put someone in a role that they might do even better at. Hmm. Will you share a little bit about what the other option was and Hmm. how you decided to not try that? Mm -hmm. So I was working in people and culture initiatives. So I was doing event planning. I was helping 
folks move into a new office space and setting up the office space and thinking through programs that would help people feel like a greater sense of community there. I was working on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I was doing things for the the sole purpose of helping people feel a greater sense of belonging. My option was to work on benefits to help process benefit requests. And, and that's important work, but that wasn't supporting my personal mission. And so when they offered it to me, I actually started training in that new role because I was like, why not try? And within two weeks, I just knew that if I stayed, it was only going to feel soul sucking. And it wasn't fair for me to take that role when somebody else who would really enjoy it and would really be energized by this work could take that role. Mm -hmm. And and I, I just, I knew I had to take the leap. It's so interesting to me because you had this clear sense of what your true north was or, or what you would find meaningful and purposeful. And it's probably because of the previous identity crises and multiple explorations you had done to get there. But I feel like we would be missing out if we didn't hear from Willa and Raha about some of their career identity crises. But Willa, you went through a very public restructuring with WeWork. You were leading wellness, doing incredible things, very mission-driven things like Lauren at her firm. Did you, first of all, think about it as a career identity crisis? And then how did you navigate the transition when it was so public and, and so quick? Yeah, thanks for asking. So just to share a little bit of context, I led growth and business ops at Rise by Weave. And I love the vision. I love this idea of creating a space for entrepreneurs and people who are walking a different path to come together, have community, but try to do something a little bit different. And I also love my job. I love the people that I worked with. I'm very passionate about the intersection of community and wellness and to get to think about how do you infuse wellness into these spaces where people spend so much of their time was such a treat for me. And so when it became obvious that it was time to just think about a good next step, I started looking at things in San Francisco. And I think that is where I started to feel a little bit of a career identity crisis because I find that wellness, even though it's so important, there are very few examples of people thriving economically with a career in wellness. And so, you know, I talk to health and wellness coaches, tech startups who are rethinking how tech can play a role in health and wellness to employee experience teams at companies big and small. That was a moment where I was like, oh, I am so passionate about an industry, but it's very hard to find, to your point, Lauren, an organization, like a team to work with that's thinking about it. Because for me, I looked at some startups that were trying to digitalize one aspect of healthcare. And then I would talk to companies that use them and the employees that use them. And it didn't really seem like anyone was having the impact that was their original mission. And that's just one of many tensions I feel when I'm exploring this interest of mine with what currently exists. And there's two mindsets you can take to that. One is, oh, bummer, it's a misaligned system. 
Or I think it's, oh, there's a way to do it better. And what is a way that I can find a path to work on it? I've definitely felt myself flip between the two mindsets and have noted that the world is better. My own life is so much better taking this latter mindset of, wow, it seems like there's a lot of opportunity. What are, you know, one or two steps that we can take in that direction? I think what makes you different than me, Willa, is that you have had this focus throughout and it manifested itself in different ways of I want to get into the wellness space I want to make an impact there and these questions that emerge become how or what are the norms or how do I want to push against them the truth is I didn't have as clear an idea starting Mm. out of what I wanted to do or where I wanted to make impact but a lot of it for me as we go back to that concept of what can we do versus what do we want to do? It was also just a curiosity of, hey, there are all these worlds out there and they say they're very intense. And and part of it was one, me learning to overcome the imposter syndrome by looking at these worlds that I had always thought, oh, can I fit in there? Getting in there and being like, well, there's not much of a secret sauce to this, to what it means to succeed. Often it was quite straightforward and it then became a matter of, is this the way you want to lean? Is this the way you want to go in order to achieve success in this role? And if not, how do you define success? And it wasn't so clear for me that I wanted to go in a certain direction of impact. But it often was, like Lauren had mentioned, these feelings of this doesn't quite resonate. And what I also find interesting about what, what Lauren had said was that you mentioned these crises happening to you, but you also mentioned them partly coming out of you being really intentional with how you want to set your path when your company restructured and you had the choice to stay with it or go out and be intentional it's you have an idea for how I want to create impact and what's interesting there is the trade-off right like Willa you've said too when you have so much intention about the world you want to create you run up into the very clear issue which is that world doesn't exist now and yeah. you know, looking for options to fall into your lap or looking for something to be easy, it doesn't really work. And it's a very interesting trade-off, wanting to go at things with intentionality, running into worlds where it doesn't quite fit in. And so you have to carve out those worlds for yourself, whether it is yes. through coaching, whether it is mm-hmm. through wellness. I loved, Raha, two things you said. First is part of the reason, Lauren, we really were excited to bring you in is because last time we were talking about this idea of inner child and an inner parent. And you bring in this interesting dimension of an inner bully and an inner best friend. And so there's just multiple inners (laughs) people (laughs) that we need to silence and amplify in our own brains. But the other thing, Raha, you said was this idea of how do you define success and how do you perhaps unlearn the definition of success Mm -hmm. from societal expectations, expectations of people around you, parents, the schools that you're in. I think so much of it is unlearning that and just deciding for yourself what is your north star like what makes you happy what is the thing that you're Mm -hmm. striving towards totally for me resonates a lot and then it's how do you (laughs) maybe measure things to get there and that's your measurement of success but it's just a really important point you brought up I wanted to highlight yeah Yeah. and what One thing I'll say, and before we take a break, is that I I love the idea of an inner bully because there's something we have to overcome there. And I feel that the more we overcome our inner bully, the more we come to terms with that inner child who knows very strongly what we want for ourselves. Willa, that intention you have is something we all come back to as we overcome the ways we've internalized what society is telling us to do and unlearn that, as Smitha said, and then come back to, hey, what are the instincts I have for myself? Yeah, I, I love all of that. 
totally i have a thought too but i would love to take a break and then come back we're on a roll ladies much of this pressure that everyone has been describing is really around defining people by their career and by how much they Mm -hmm. work. And what I'm talking about is a lot of times we introduce people and we're like, oh, this person's awesome. They're X. And then we like state their job. And then people are like, oh, that's really cool. Like they're badass. And I don't think anyone has bad intentions when they do that. But I also think there are some negative things that come from defining people or introducing people based on what they do at work. Because when they do that, you can only define people by existing work. It's much harder for people to understand when people want to create something new or when they do something that's not already recognized and understood by society as something successful. And I think what we do when we define people by their jobs is we limit people. And one thing that Smith has talked about before is just that there are things that we can do to stop that pattern, which is one, we can start to define ourselves by things other than just our job. Mm -hmm. And Smith has a really great way of thinking about this, but it's just like, yes, I do this for work but I am also a dancer and I'm also like Smith is getting her psalm training and also hosting a podcast. And as we start to explain to our friends and other people, all of these things that we are passionate about, it it makes it easier for society to define us differently as well. And then the other thing we can do is we can try to not default to introducing people by their roles or their titles. And that's not to not celebrate when people have invested a lot in work and gone really far by highlighting how people are smart and have cool hobbies and that they've really invested in their career in a certain way. It can go a long way, just the words that we use. And Lauren, I think that you've done a lot in your work that targets this. And I'd love to just like have you share more about your frameworks more about what you do and go from there yeah absolutely i call it holistic confidence coaching and uh, it actually took me a while to figure out what the heck to call it because (laughs) i didn't really see myself being a traditional career coach life coach didn't really resonate although it's definitely holistic confidence the way you see yourself and the way you exist in the world but the the piece of the puzzle that i wanted to help people with was figuring out who they are beyond just how they make money and what their job title is, and then figuring out how they see themselves existing in the world, the impact that they want to make, and the fears, the self-limiting beliefs that are keeping them from doing that. And then the second part of that is building and strengthening meaningful relationships with other people and being able to confidently self-advocate being able to meet someone new and tell your story. And then when conflicts arise, being able to confront someone with compassion. And so those are the pieces Mm. of the coaching program, coaching adventure that I take with my clients. And it's been really amazing to watch people over the course of a few weeks working with them. Their confidence really 
does transform. Yeah, I love that. I When I think about <laughs> that shift, Will, I mentioned and how you so beautifully speak to that in your tools. For me, I see it as a difference between asking someone, what do you do? And asking someone, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in this world? Or what's your story? When I meet someone, I say, what's your story? And they can choose what they tell me. They can say, I climbed Mount Everest, or I coach soccer, or I am a seamstress. It could be a job related. It could be hobby related. It could be whatever they feel like defines them. Yeah. Um, And that's part of the journey that I help my clients with is figuring out what is your story? When people ask you, tell me about yourself, they have an answer to that question and they feel confident in saying the words that resonate with them most. And that energy is totally different than being like, here's what I do for work. Which is so funny because I feel like the tell me about yourself is something when I think about the framing of that is usually something I I associate with job interviews. When I first would think about how people default to answering that, it is through achievements that are relevant to where they want to be right now. Whereas what you're saying is, tell me about yourself. Tell me about what makes you come alive. And tell me about, and then what it ends up becoming is tell me about what you like to do. And I feel like the word do becomes something very different than what do you do? You know, what are your achievements? Um, And what is the achievement you're looking for? And talking about your personal mission and what you do to support your personal mission, like not just what you do and what you want to do, but why you do it. Yeah. Right. That's so, that's an important part of your, your story. It's not even like, what is your story? It's like, why is your story, your story? Yeah. 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 I like that a lot. And I'm very curious, Lauren, if you ask people specifically, what is your story not to impress society? If you were to tell your story based on things that you value the most, what would that story be? And how is that different from the story that you tell Mm -hmm. job interviewers? Yeah. And then you start to see the difference between, oh, what people have been conditioned to see as valuable and successful. Mm -hmm. Like I have experience doing this versus their true passion and energy coming out of like, I just love dancing. And so I just went on this one week dance retreat and learned this. And it was one of the most defining parts of my life. I'm curious, Lauren, do you find that people come to you with an innate understanding of that? If that's why they're seeking something out? Or if not, how do you bring out that shift? It's so funny, because I actually think a lot of people know more about themselves than they think they do. And sometimes they just need a little different perspective. They have this idea, especially with job searching, that you need to sell. They need to sell themselves. They need to have a personal brand and market themselves. Mm. It's like, well, maybe what they need to hear instead, and the things that I help folks do is actually figure out what is the story that you want to tell? What is your authentic story? What challenges have you overcome? What things have defined your identity? What other ways do you identify rather than just the jobs that you have on your resume? And the energy is I'm telling my story for the purpose of connecting with other human beings that have unique stories and have overcome unique challenges, not I am trying to impress you. The energy is totally different. And for the sake of interviews and networking, like people are going to connect with those who are willing to be vulnerable and to, and to tell their story and to own it, to really own it, right? When we first met, you were so forthcoming about your relationship, redefining yourself as part of the deaf community. I found that really interesting and in how you were thinking about what is your story? Who are you? It seemed like that was not a part of your identity that you embraced 
previously, but now you are. Could you share more about that? I thought it was super interesting when we first spoke. Yes, absolutely. So I did not know that I was hard of hearing until I was 17. And that's when I got hearing aids. And it wasn't until like almost half my life later that I even identified as deaf. And it was just a series of failed hearing tests. And at that point, I'd, I'd gotten by and just slowly genetic hearing loss in both my ears. And the actual loss is at a decibel range that's human voices. So mm. it actually makes it really you know, challenging in certain situations. But that hasn't stopped me from doing a lot of the things that, that I've enjoyed doing. And I think for a long time, I saw that my inner bully, we talked about like this inner bully, inner best friend, my inner bully would tell me like, you're broken. Your body doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And it wasn't until just a few years ago, really, that I was able to see that this is just another way of existing in the world. And it's actually part of what makes me a cool human being. Mm. I have a unique perspective on the world. I'm very visually perceptive. I have to be an active listener because I need to be. And it makes me very empathetic, like all of these cool things that I'm actually really proud of. And so I'm proud of my deafness. I'm proud of that being part of my identity. But I I didn't see it that way for a long time because of that conditioned belief, that internalized ableism, that that inner bully saying, your ears don't work the way they're supposed to. So you're not good enough. And that's just a lie. It's just straight up lie. Thanks so much for sharing that, Lauren, because that's yeah, a, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a, a beautiful and like, powerful story. And it just makes me think about this difference of fitting in versus belonging. It just makes me think of that because our inner bullies are always fear driven. They're, you know, they seem so mean, but they're these poor little scared things that are saying, hey, like you're not going to fit in the way you are. And it's really powerful that you've been sharing with us through your tips and confidence coaching, where you encourage people to share their stories and connect that to the worlds that they are trying to be part of, whether in jobs, for example, you've shown how your authentic voice in an interview is actually more compelling to fit in by bringing in your light or get you to places that acknowledge that. And once I silence that inner bully and tell myself, hey, I can fit in just fine into the places that I want to, because I bring in all these strengths. And also, I'm just worthy innately of being here. I'm I'm curious about how that leads to the discussion of belonging. And it's all intertwined, but I can fit in here just fine. I can bring value into this world just fine. But what is the world that I choose to bring in value into? What is the world where I truly feel that I belong? Maybe what is the world that truly speaks to all the parts of my identity? And if you just, if you'll just entertain me, I, one word that also brings up is the word trade-offs. As you went through your path, you were facing certain kinds of trade-offs. And when you're talking to these clients, in vocalizing your own story makes you more authentic, but it also makes you realize that your story is your own and maybe there's less of a need to fit a square peg into a circle hole in these jobs that don't really make you feel like you belong. So I'd love to ask you, Lauren, how did you go through that thinking in your journey? How did you address the fear that there are all these trade-offs that come with really believing in our authentic self? Or how do you help others navigate that too? Yeah, and I think the important thing is to realize that when you are your authentic self, when you're shining your unique radiant light on the world, when you are not putting so much effort into performing for the sake of just performing to conform, right? Like you're conforming to this idea of the way you're supposed to be, as opposed to just being who you are and your unique cool, weird self, you are going to attract people 
the people who love you and want to be with you mm. for your authentic self, not mm. because of the way that you sold yourself. I'm air quoting that you gave people an impression that wasn't true to you. And it's going to take a lot of work to keep up with that. <laughs> right? Totally. So you, right? Yeah. So it's exhausting. You, yeah, totally exhausting to not embrace your true authentic self. And so part of it, is it worth it? Wouldn't you rather have people in your life and a work team and a dating people. This comes up with dating profiles too. Mm. Are you presenting yourself on a dating profile to sell or are you doing it in a way that I'm just going to show my weird quirky self (laughs) and see who is attracted to that? Wouldn't you rather associate yourself with people who love you for your authentic self, for Mm. who you truly are? And then I would also just say for some of the trade-offs that come up for people too, I have to remove myself from this situation or this job because it doesn't energize me anymore or I don't feel like I'm treated well like it's worth asking yourself what if it all works out what if I don't regret (laughs) this decision because I'm actually leading a path that feels most energizing to me Mm -hmm. rather than keeping myself stuck in something that is is no longer energizing it seems like what you're doing Lauren or what you're saying is that we need to reframe our approach to this by not being so fear oriented and actually when you're not always operating out of fear what comes yes. what is the yeah. stuff you love what do you want to work yes. towards uh-huh yeah make decisions out of love not out of mm. fear yeah take action Ooh. out of love not Ooh. out of fear yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the inner bully says i'm done peace <laughs> yeah yeah and your inner best friend like make sure that your inner best friend is louder then you're in her belly. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, have you found then that the more you embraced this work, acting out of love, you, you were constantly trying to do that. But the more you put yourself on that path, did your inner bully necessarily quiet down? Or did you just find different ways of handling? I think it's more of an awareness of it being there and being able to say, okay, I'm able to recognize when my inner bully is running rampant, when it's telling me lies, and shut it down with what I need to hear, which is what my inner best friend is going to, is going to tell me. So even just today in thinking about joining this podcast, I was really nervous. My inner Mm. bully was telling me, you're not a great public speaker and your voice sounds awkward when it's recorded. Which it does not, first of all, but whatever. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so like my inner best friend was there to shut that Mm. spiral, like before I started spiraling, like it's there to shut it down and say, actually, a lot of people will resonate with your story. It's worth telling, like you have important insights to share. People can learn from this and your voice is sexy as hell. So just rock it. (laughs) I second that. I second that. (laughs) I'm so thankful for your inner best friend because it's been such a treat to have you here today. We've covered a, a, a few things. The idea of a career identity crisis. Why does it feel like a crisis in the first place? Then thinking about how do we navigate those and what tools might we have? And I think we've seen some real life stories and ways that Lauren, you've done this. Willa, you've done this. I I feel like I'm doing it right now and finding a a role which is closer to my true north. And it's just been a really interesting way to tease out some of those tools and frameworks. And Lauren, I would like to give you the last word. What is your big piece of advice or takeaways that you would like folks to think about Well, first, I would really love for folks who are going through a job transition right now to know that you are worthy of love. You are worthy of people's help. You're worthy of people's time. And regardless of your job situation, 
that self-love needs to be unconditional. So it's important to remember that. Again, we mentioned making choices out of love and not out of fear. It's always an important question to ask yourself, whether it's job-related or not. And then also just know that it's okay to take your own unique path, even if things take a little bit longer than you expect or longer than others. Like, you will likely not regret it because you'll be pursuing a path that's most energizing, that you feel most confident about, rather than the path that is expected of you or that you think is expected of you or that you feel like you'll be judged if you don't take it. So just know that it's okay to take your own unique path to try new things, that you're worthy of people's time and help, and that you're worthy of love and that self-love is unconditional. So beautiful. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your stories in such a strong way. I think we can all learn a lot from what you've shared today. Willa, Raha, any final thoughts? I just, that resonates so strongly, Lauren, like the idea of operating out of love rather than out of fear. And there's so many beautiful general takeaways around mindfulness there. You mentioned the inner bully those thoughts don't go away, but you're able to acknowledge them and say, all right, thanks for coming. And you may go on your merry way because of the intentionality (laughs) that you've cultivated so clearly as a muscle to choose love and to ask yourself what you love doing. And it's something for me that I've constantly confronted over the course of my career. And it really has felt like that for me about learning to build that muscle of, of love and operating out of fear can sometimes feel safe, but If there's any part of you that knows yourself, you'll know that you're not working towards those things that you want to do. And there's something around working out of love that always gets you on that journey. So I'm so glad that you were able to phrase that and and dive into that so beautifully with us. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your stories too. And uh, again, for just giving me a place to, to share my story. And I just, I love connecting with other awesome human beings. So thanks for inviting me here and yeah it's been an honor so much yeah and I hope that you'll keep us posted as you grow your business and evolve your frameworks and the people and organizations that you work with so Mm. I'm super inspired I can't wait to go do some things now (laughs) right oh let's go yeah awesome thanks for listening and we'll